Welcome to the Kingdom Community Podcast. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on earth. Now, enjoy today's show. Here we go. So welcome everyone to the Kingdom Community Equip Sessions. My name is Glenn Blakeney, and I'm excited to have you all here. Our first session today is on the purpose of signs and wonders for the Gospel of the Kingdom course. And we have all the way from the East Coast, Queensland, Australia, um, Pastor Kevin Forlong. He's going to be facilitating. We call him Pastor Kevin. He is apostolic. He's prophetic. Um, you know, I, he's one of the guys that I can say with, with confidence and conviction that, you know, he is really prophetic and he's very apostolic. He's a builder. He's been in ministry for a long time, impacted a lot of people and works closely with leaders around the globe. Of course, Australia needs our prayers. It's a difficult time for Australia with the pandemic. We're praying that you guys begin to transition out of all of the um, lockdowns and everything else that you've been in. I know for us here in the United States, it's almost been like there's no pandemic, especially living here in Texas and Florida. Um, there, it's almost like there's there's been no pandemic. Now, I don't mean that flippantly. I'm just saying in terms of the uh, lack of, of restrictions here and um, so we sometimes forget how difficult it is in other parts of the world. Um, appreciate you guys being with us today. So let's turn uh, it over to Pastor Kevin, and he's going to begin this session. When he finishes the presentation, we have some specific questions and some things to share, and then we will um, we'll send we'll give you the assignments for for this session as well. So. Pastor Kevin, Apostle Kevin, Prophet Kevin, or just Kevin. I mean, I don't, I'm not into titles too much myself, but I, I love the identifying the function uh, that someone flows in. So we recognize the apostolic, the prophetic calling in your life, and also the amazing teaching gift you have as well, and the revelation that you um, receive and also dispense to the body of Christ. So thank you, uh, sir. We welcome you. Please. Go ahead and um, begin this session with us. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. I'm not into titles either, but I do think it's important to have some idea about function, as you say. And so it's a great pleasure to be with you. Uh, I was going to say tonight, for some of you, it's morning. It's night here. It's about 11 p.m. Just gone up uh, here in uh, in the in the Sunshine Coast. I live at a place called Sunshine Coast, and um, so there we go. So we're talking about moving in signs and wonders, and this is uh, an area that I'm really passionate about, and so it's a great privilege and pleasure for me to share with you tonight. And uh, just to begin with um, looking at what is the purpose of signs and wonders, because when we look through the Gospels and the Book of Acts and the Epistles, we see, uh, you know, just a constant flow of the power of God being demonstrated. And, and I want to suggest to you there, there are 
two or three things that are part of that. One is to draw attention to God, to display his glory. Uh, signs and wonders, I often say wonders that make people wonder, and wonder what's going on, but also to see the wonder of God, how awesome he is, uh, and uh, to display his glory. I think the second thing is to demonstrate the lordship of Christ. Uh, Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth is given to him. And, uh, you know, when demons are cast out, when there's power and, um, you know, things are happening like that, there is a display of the Lordship of Christ. It, it is uh, bearing testimony to the fact that he has all authority and all dominion and power is given unto him. And then thirdly, uh, moving in signs and wonders is to meet human need, not always the case. Sometimes there are things that happen that don't directly uh, apply to a person in terms of, of healing or whatever, but, uh, but nonetheless, that through signs and wonders, the love and mercy and grace of God is displayed in uh, meeting personal need. I, I want to kind of just give you a little bit of a context uh, with this in terms of a personal testimony um, and just a little bit of our background that will help you perhaps grasp where I'm coming from with some of this. Um, in 1984, we were pastoring in Auckland, New Zealand, and uh, I had taken some time just to seek the Lord about 1985. We we're right at the end of the year, and I was just praying into that. And uh, very clearly, the Lord took me to uh, the passage in 1 Kings 18 of Elijah calling down fire on Mount Carmel. And if you look at the at that um, account there, you find that Elijah stood in front of the whole nation, and he said, if God is God, serve him. If Jehovah is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And the people didn't answer. But then when he said, uh, let the God who answers be by fire, let him be the God, all the people went, yeah, okay, we can relate to that. And, um, and the Lord began to unpack that to me and, and say to me, you know, the people on the first question, uh, if, if Jehovah's God or Baal is God, uh, the Lord said to me, the people could understand the question, but they couldn't discern the answer. Uh, Baal is a generic term given to a range of idols. So it wasn't referring to a particular idol or a particular god, but archaeologists tell us there are probably 600 Baals yeah, or 600 different idols that came under that generic term. So the problem was when you say who's God, nobody knows. There's so many gods in the land they don't know. And, you know, it's the same today. You can stand on the street corner and say Jesus is Lord, but the reality is people don't know. They can, they can understand what you're saying, but they can't discern whether it's true or not. Uh, but when the fire falls, when something happens, then they're confronted with something that they can't explain. And the Lord said to me, it's your responsibility to bring a demonstration of the power of God to your community. And so that launched me into a uh, a different direction from where we'd been. We had seen, uh, you know, healings and miracles and things like that under our ministry previously. And as a Pentecostal church, we would, you know, uh, have some expression of that, but this was different. In 1985, we launched miracle services, advertised them widely. And within a short period of time, we, we would literally get 150 unchurched people into the Sunday morning service of healing and miracles and that kind of thing. And uh, just 
just saw some amazing things happen, creative miracles and just, just amazing. We had a four-year-old girl uh, that came into one of the earlier services when we began those miracle services, and she had been born without an ankle or foot on one leg. And we ministered to her on the Sunday and on Tuesday. Uh, by Tuesday morning, she had grown a foot and uh, an ankle joint and just, uh, you know, just unbelievable things. We had a, a 16-year-old girl that had had her uh, inner ear surgically removed and, um, and yet she could hear through that ear perfectly well. And uh, just a couple of things that I learned through that, which I, I want to throw in there because it might be helpful to some of you. At that time, I had, uh, I had been strongly influenced by uh, a guy here, actually here in Australia that was, um, had a, a significant science-following ministry. And he had a big emphasis on people being slain in the spirit, as, as we called it, you know, going down under the power of God. And so that was kind of uh, my paradigm. And so what was happening is that um, uh, when we ministered to people, we, we, we would see them all, uh, you know, hit the floor. And, um, and what was happening, I was ministering a lot with word of knowledge at that time and, and often very, very detailed, specific things that people would respond to that. We'd minister to them. They'd hit the floor, get up 20 minutes later, but they're not healed. And I began to talk to the Lord about that and say, what's going on? You know, it doesn't make much sense. And, um, and then the Lord began to talk to me about the fact that I was directing the anointing and directing my faith in the wrong direction. I was looking for people to come be impacted by the power of God rather than be healed. And so I learned that I began to learn that we, you know, we, we lay hands on people to establish a point of contact for the transference of spirit power for impartation. But we can learn how to direct that in more specific ways and exercise our faith, our expectation, and release the anointing, release the power uh, to, to uh, you know, in this case, I had to learn to release it uh, for the specific sickness or disease or whatever it was. And, uh, and so what happened was we immediately began to see a lot more people getting dramatically healed and, and slightly less people on the, on the floor, not that many less, I'd have to be honest. Uh, the second thing that happened is within a short period of time, we were getting people in that were, were in desperate situations, badly crippled, the people on their deathbed, just some, some, some very desperate situations. And I remember uh, quite early on looking at some of the cases that were coming in and, uh, and, th and just thinking to myself, uh, well, actually almost feeling like I wanted to run in the opposite direction. I don't know anybody whether anybody else has ever had that experience when you see somebody that just is so crippled out and so bad and you're just finding your way in this whole thing about moving in the power of God. And so I, I, I went to the Lord about it and I said, God, you're going to have to help me. I just, I just don't have uh, faith for those conditions. And the Lord took me to uh, John 14, 12, where it says, if you believe in me, uh, the works that I do, you'll do also. And the Lord said to me, you don't have to believe for the miracle. You just have to believe in me. And that was a huge breakthrough for me because I, I realized, you know, Jesus has done everything. He's opened the blind eyes. He's healed the deaf. He's, he's healed the cripples. He's raised the dead. So it wasn't hard for me to shift my focus 
and, and to just let my faith be focused on Jesus and what he had done and, and, and his authority and power, rather than looking at people and feeling like I had to have faith for their miracle. And, and that might be, it may seem to some of you a bit of play on words, but it's not actually. And it was a huge release to me and has uh, been something that has carried me through many, many years and many situations of that kind of ministry. So I hope those sort of things might be a little bit helpful to you. Um, but there are three things that we need to really be very clear about. And that is, is that when Jesus came, he came to reveal the kingdom of God, he came to reveal the Father. And he did so through his teaching, through the signs and wonders and miracles, and of course, through his sacrifice. But it didn't stop there. He taught and trained and empowered his disciples and followers to reveal and extend the kingdom through their uh, preaching, but also through the power. He gave them authority over all devils. He gave them power over all um, sickness and disease. And of course, then the early church revealed and extended the kingdom of God in exactly the same way. And we need to be very clear about seeing that uh, right through that whole uh, area. There's a number of things I've got there in your notes, uh, just biblical truths. I'm not going to take time to get into that. You can have a look at that in your leisure. But what I'd like to do is just lay a bit of a foundation for this whole thing about moving in signs and wonders. And um, it, it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that is the vehicle of God's grace and lifting us and opening up the whole dimension of the supernatural to us. And so it, it lifts us into the potential, a greater potential of fellowship and communion with God and the dominion that flows out of that. And as Jesus said, he prophesied in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Then you'll be one of witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth, a very well-known scripture. And the great evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not that we can speak in tongues. That's the initial evidence. But the real evidence is a spirit-filled, power-filled life. And there are a couple of words in that text that are important for us to consider for a moment. And one of them is the word that's translated power. It's the, the Greek word dunamis. And, um, and generally, when somebody refers to dunamis and the, the, uh, what that word actually means, they talk about, you know, uh, dynamite and, and uh, miraculous power and so on. But actually, the word uh, dunamis is, encapsulates much more than that. And Strong's um, uh, says here, inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth, but power for performing miracles. But then it goes on, moral power and excellence of soul, the power and influence which belong to riches and wealth, etc. And there's a lot more there. So if you unpack it, the point I want to make is that this, this word, not just talking about miracle power, it's talking about uh, the uh, grace of God, the power of God in your life to meet every single need and, and to make you effective in every area of life. So it's more than just miracle working power, but it includes miracle working power. 
And he says, you have received that. He prophesies, you will receive that when, the, when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The second word that I want to just draw your attention to is uh, the word martyr, which translated witness. And of course, a witness in a legal sense is a person who is able to give evidence of what they have personally seen or heard. It's a personal testimony about something. You can't be a witness in a legal sense, uh, relaying information that's second or third hand. It's what you've personally experienced. And your testimony is tremendously powerful. And, um, and, then they, and then, of course, the word martyr, and it's talking about a witness to the point of laying down our lives and uh, while the ultimate sacrifice, of course, uh, of martyrdom, but also there is another aspect to that word. And I want to suggest to you that it's necessary for us to learn how to lay down our life in order to give an accurate witness to the gospel of the kingdom. The fear of man and the fear of failure stops a lot of people moving in the spirit and learning how to function in those things. For instance, uh, prophecy, a word of knowledge is received in a subjective. It's a, a word, an impression, a feeling of something you see, uh, but it's very subjective. And you never know it's correct until it's released. And then it's too late. So <laughs> it's when you release that word of knowledge, you release that prophecy. I believe that one of the reasons so often the operation of the gifts is at a low level of revelation is because of the fear of failure and people not pressing through to capture the largeness of what God wants to do. And so we end up in a situation where prophetic ministry is very general, very generic, uh, doesn't have much real detail or, or uh, that kind of thing. And I believe that we need to, uh, you know, be pushing through and, uh, and learning how to function at a higher level on that. And, uh, you know, you, you need power. We all need power in order to fulfill the scriptures. Jesus said, you believe in me, the works that I do, you will do. These signs will follow those that believe. But the, the prophecies of Jesus, we need the power of God in our lives in order to function effectively and fulfill that. And, um, and, and we have to learn how to, how to uh, switch on that power, how to activate it. I often say the Holy Spirit is imprisoned in the lives of unbelieving believers. Uh, we have received the power, but it can be dormant because we haven't learned and grown in the, in the gifts of the Spirit and those kind of things. And uh, there in your notes in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and verse 1, Paul saying now about, this is the Amplified, now about spiritual gifts, the special endowments of supernatural energy. Uh, I want to say to you tonight, as a spirit-filled believer, you have received a deposit of supernatural ability, the power of God. And he said, I don't want you to be ignorant or lack information about these spiritual gifts. And then, of course, further down that passage, he uh, lists off the nine gifts of the Spirit. And in effect, those nine gifts of the Spirit are the toolbox that are given to all Spirit-filled Christians, and they're there to be used. These gifts 
form the basis of what we can refer to as moving in the spirit or uh, those kind of things. They're tools that are to be operated by faith at the instigation and, and in the power of the spirit. And it's been imparted uh, to every spirit-filled uh, believer. And then in chapter 14, uh, verse 1, uh, Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire and cultivate spiritual gifts, not just even just desire, but cultivate them. In, in other words, learn to grow in effective operation of the gifts of the spirit. The, the phrase they earnestly desire, um, it, it's talking about burning with zeal for it. In other words, you're in hot pursuit of that. There's a real hunger and a real faith, and there's a real pushing and reaching out uh, for the gifts of the Spirit and the function in that. They, the gifts of the Spirit, moving in the Spirit, the signs and wonders uh, is what's revealing the glory of God in the earth and bringing heaven to earth. And uh, one of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, where it says, He, speaking of God, and the Amplified says, has made us fit worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers, not just of the old covenant, but of the new covenant of the spirit. And I want to say to you tonight, uh, look you in the eye as individuals and say, God has already made you fit and worthy and sufficient as a minister and a dispenser of spirit, life and power. We have so many people that feel uh, unfit, unworthy, insufficient, but God has already given you all you need for life and godliness and empowered you to be a dispenser, not just a, a teacher, but a dispenser of spirit, life, and power. And of course, we see the picture of that in Acts 3, where Peter and John come to the uh, gate beautiful of the temple, and there's the crippled man uh, asking for, uh, you know, uh, asking alms, and, and Peter says, you know, we don't have money, but what I do have, I give you. He, he understands he's received power. He understands he's a carrier of that. And, uh, and, and then, of course, he, he, he takes a, uh, speaks to the man, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Uh, but then he reaches down and he takes him by the hand. And as he lifts him up, his ankles are strengthened. So the miracle doesn't happen when he says, in the name of Jesus, be healed. It happens as he lifts him up. And the gift of the spirit is the working of miracles. And miracles have to be worked. And, and uh, if you're anything like me and you read that and you think about that, you think it was very courageous. It takes boldness to reach down to this crippled man to make, to make the declaration of healing over him, but, but, um, but then to go to the next step and, and raise him up, grab him by the hand, lift him up, and the miracle happens. And so these things are the foundational truths that apply to every spiritual, uh, spirit-filled Christian, and they form the, the basic premise and understanding of our moving in signs and wonders. And there's a, a biblical pattern that's, that's very clear, the progression in Scripture that we, we just look at. But see, the first petition that Jesus taught the disciples to pray was, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The first prophetic message that was given to Israel through John the Baptist after 400 years of silence was repent, the kingdom of God is near. And then Jesus goes on, of course, and says, uh, you know, seek first the kingdom. And, and so this is the priority. And so you see this whole 
pattern of, of declaration coming to the people about the kingdom of God and uh, seek first the kingdom and, uh, and, and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew called it, being revealed in the earth. And Jesus in Luke 17 saying to them, uh, don't go looking here and there for the kingdom of God. And so it's over there. No, the kingdom of God is within you. And it literally means that the kingdom of God is in your individual hearts and among you corporately. And, uh, and we still have people today that are looking for the kingdom, <laughs> but it's here. The kingdom is here. And actually, you are a connector uh, for the kingdom. Heaven is in your heart. And as we look at the New Testament, we realize that we not saved to escape hell. We're not saved to go to heaven. We're saved to be changed into his image and live and manifest the kingdom of God in the earth, just like Jesus did. And Paul, as he writes to the church at Ephesus, he's talking about the church coming to maturity to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ, that Christ be fully represented in and through the church. And of course, John in his first epistle, chapter four, he says, as he is, so are we in this world. And so we begin to realize that we're not called to build the church. Jesus said he would do that, but that the church, the ecclesia, the people of God, uh, God's vehicle uh, to reveal his kingdom, to literally see the government of God established and extended across the earth. It's a return to the original mandate given to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And so uh, there, there's a real clear pattern all the way through with that, and a progression in Scripture where it says in Matthew 4, 17, speaking of Jesus, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I want you to notice it says from that time on, because there's a sense in which that's the only message Jesus ever preached. Everything else was, a, uh, was derived from that. And it was a very radical message for the people of the day uh, because they were uh, so afraid of God, they wouldn't even mention God's name. And he's saying, no, you need to change your mind because this God wants to come right into your world and right to where you are. And, and so Jesus came with that message and so on. And then, of course, he's, he teaches the 12 the same thing in Matthew 10. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely receive, freely give. So that second verse, verse 8 uh, gives a definition as to what that message actually incorporates. It's not just the declaration. It's the demonstration of healing the sick and so on. And he's saying, you've freely received the power of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You've freely received, now freely given. And then it didn't stop with the 12. It went on to the 70. When he sends out the 70 in Luke 10, heal the sick, that are there and tell them the kingdom is near. And then in Luke 11, he says, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, you know, the kingdom of God has come. And so evidence of the kingdom. And so we see it in Jesus, then in the 12, then in the 70, and then on through the book of Acts and in the epistles. And Paul, speaking to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, he said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And the context of that is he's saying to the Corinthians, you you, you know a lot, you know, when I come, I'm not going to be interested in your doctrine and your theology. I want to see what power you've got, because the kingdom of God is not just about 
teaching and doctrine. Those things are important, but it's more than just that. And Christianity is not a teaching religion, if I can call it a religion. We have made it that. Christianity is primarily about personal encounters with God, power encounters that transform our life. And actually, where we are to have a power encounter that transforms us, and then the rest of our life is about helping other people have power encounters that transform them. And it's ongoing. So the kingdom is seen in the demonstration and authority of the power of Jesus. And, uh, and, and of course, Paul makes it even uh, clearer in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4 and 5, when he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul recognizes the futility and danger of people being converted through an intellectual discussion. And, and I think that's very real possibility in a lot of church life today where people can be Christianized and they buy into a set of values or a particular lifestyle or, um, you know, uh, perspective of life. But, then, but people need to be born again by having a power encounter with God. And that's why Paul's saying, I want, I want your faith to rest and the power of God, God's power. And, uh, and, uh, and so in Jesus, of course, in Matthew 24, it says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness uh, to all the nations in the end will come as the gospel of the kingdom that is to be preached, not just the gospel of salvation. There is a difference. The gospel of the kingdom involves both proclamation and demonstration, and we are called to demonstrate the Spirit's power. And as we've seen already very briefly tonight, you can see the progression. Jesus, Jesus and the 12 disciples, then the 70, then the early church, and now uh, the baton has been passed on to us and our generation. And the kingdom always requires that demonstration of the power of God, the revelation of the kingdom coming to earth, heaven on earth. And um, that's why when the early apostles went out, the scripture says that God confirmed the word with signs following supernatural power. And the pattern and progression of scripture just really uh, establishes that. And, you know, the concept of a powerless Christian is not a biblical concept. There's no such thing as a Christian without power. If you're a spirit-filled uh, Christian, uh, then there's power that has been imparted to you. And as I said earlier, so often we haven't learned how to function in that. And uh, perhaps we've been in an environment where that's not encouraged, we're not taught, whatever. But the idea of Christians without supernatural power and the grace of God touching every area of life, that is not a biblical concept. So let me just uh, draw this towards an end and talk to you uh, for a moment, a few moments about positioning for power. How do we develop that in our lives and, and become more effective in moving in signs and wonders? And I want to just give you three or four simple things. The first one is our devotional life obviously is such a critical thing. James uh, saying, you know, uh, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. This, this whole thing of having a real vital uh, devotional life, not just a religious routine, but uh, we will never, ever 
carry fresh anointing, fresh fire and the power of God without a vibrant devotional life. And I believe that requires a place and a time of prayer. You know, people talk about, I pray when I'm driving the car, when I'm in the shower, when I'm doing the housework or mowing the lawn or whatever it might be. And sure, we can be communicating devotionally with the Lord all the, in all those situations. But I do believe there are times when we need to shut out distractions and have, be in a situation where we can spend uh, some time just praying in the spirit, meditating on the word, waiting on God, listening to him. Jesus found it necessary to go away from the crowd, away even from his disciples and out early in the morning in the mountains and wherever to pray get alone with his father. And that's a critical component for each one of us. Uh, the second thing that's a critical part of it is keep getting filled with the spirit. The Bible talks about one baptism, but many fillings. In Acts chapter two, we see the day of Pentecost. They're all filled with the spirit. Two chapters on, chapter four, it says they prayed, the place where it was shaken, and they're all filled with the spirit. Uh, I love that thought I think sometimes we need to learn to pray until something gets shaken, you know, <laughs> and sometimes it's about things getting shaken in our own lives. Some of the restrictions and limitations get shaken off and praying and, uh, you know, until things shift and being filled with the spirit. And then, of course, Ephesians 5.18 that talks about don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And the word uh, be filled there is in a constant present tense. What it's actually saying is be being filled. In other words, uh, why do we need to be constantly refilled? Well, because we leak. The anointing is dissipated and we, we are in a world that, that you're rubbing shoulders with all sorts of things, all sorts of pressures and things going on. We need to be constantly coming back to the Lord, building relationship with Holy Spirit, learning to lean into his presence, lean into his anointing, allowing him to move in us and on us, learning to yield, not needing to be in control all the time, but allowing Holy Spirit to really uh, work in us and through us. Uh, so that what, like, like Peter, you know, such as I have, I give you. Uh, some will say you've either got it or you haven't. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of theory around it, but the reality is what am I carrying? Can I impart that? Have I learned how to, how to step into that and um, see the power of God flow? And then uh, thirdly, uh, desiring the gifts of the Spirit. You know, we looked at that a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians 14, earnestly desire and cultivate spiritual gifts. And I want to encourage you with that. You know, uh, I've been around church a lot of years and pastored for a lot of years and ministered around a lot of years. And uh, one of the things that would bother me would be the lack of real hunger for uh, among people to, to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Some people get a hold of it, but there's a lot of people that aren't in the place that Paul is talking about. Be motivated by love, but earnestly desire and cultivate spiritual gifts. And so my challenge to you tonight would be to say, how hungry are you really to function in the gifts of the Spirit? I mean, how much, of, you know, is there that earnestly desire is, is what he's saying there? Uh, because that's it's as we function in those sort of supernatural uh, gifts that it releases the Spirit's power. It brings uh, the glory, it reveals the glory of God, brings heaven to earth. And, and then finally, I would say, just do it. I, I call that the Nike anointing, you know, just do it. And um, it, it's much easier to act your way into believing than to believe your way into acting. Uh, 
And sometimes you just got to step out and do it and, and lay hold of God. You know, Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the work, most assuredly, he's saying this is absolutely true. If you believe in me, the works that I'm doing, you can do also. Uh, these signs will follow those who believe. I, I, um, I think we are plagued with a lot of unbelieving believers. <laughs> they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe what Jesus said. They believe in the Bible, but they don't believe what the Bible said. You know, and we have to shake that off and push through and, and get a hold of it and just step out. I, I sometimes say to people, I never saw anybody healed under my ministry until I started ministering to the sick. Well, that's not very profound, is it? But for a lot of people, <laughs> they want to see healings. They want to see miracles, but you've got to step out of the boat, break out of your comfort zone and get hold of the word of God and start acting on it. And you find the amazing thing is that when we step into obedience and uh, begin to step out of that comfort zone and be courageous, how God just comes through and honors his word, honors our obedience, honors his, our faith, and, uh, and he alone, you know, can just release uh, the, his presence and power in amazing, amazing ways. And it's a wonderful thing. Thanks for tuning in to the Kingdom Community Podcast. To learn more about us, including how to connect with our Kingdom community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. If you're enjoying this show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so other listeners like you can be encouraged. We really appreciate that effort, and we hope you will join us again in the next episode of the Kingdom Community Podcast.